Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the innovators and entrepreneurs building the future of health. I'm India Edwards. Our guest on this week's podcast is Jessica Zeski, a partner at Echo Health Ventures. Prior to Echo, Jessica served as Director of Healthcare Investments at GE Ventures. She brings together a unique blend of public health, software development, business experience, and other things, and she leverages that as a healthcare investor and as a board member of the many boards she sits on. In this chat, Jessica will dive deep into why and how founders should be adapting and changing as capital markets are shifting. She'll also outline some of the shifts in this market, giving insight into where the money is going and why. Jessica will also share specifics about Echo Health Ventures, what stands out to them in potential investments, and why it is so important to incorporate health equity analysis in every investment in healthcare. This session was hosted by Startup Health's Logan Plaster in front of a live audience of founders from the Startup Health portfolio. Enjoy. Welcome to today's Startup Health Fireside Chat. Uh, I'm your host, Logan Plaster, and dialing in today from uh, dreary, chilly Baltimore. Today, we welcome our guest, Jessica Zeski, a partner at Echo Health Ventures. Now, prior to Echo, Jessica served as Director of Healthcare Investments at GE Ventures. Uh, she brings together a unique blend of public health, software development, business experience, among other things, and she leverages that as a, a healthcare investor and as um, a, a board member on the many boards that she sits on. Jessica, uh, welcome to this fireside chat. Well, delighted to be here on this uh, crisp fall day up here in Boston, Massachusetts. Awesome, love that view behind you. Uh, Jessica, you, as I mentioned, you've had a broad and very interesting path towards your current position there at Echo. Like I said, you meant you began in software development, mm -hmm. uh, public health at Johns Hopkins, MBA. Um, as a way to get to know you, I want to know what do you feel has been a through line for you, you know, a particular interest or personal thesis that's kind of brought you to where you are today? Yeah, you know what I would I would say is it all comes down to impact. And I did, I started out thinking I was going to be a professor of public health and how I was going to make my impact was to be publishing papers and really you know um, letting people know what was some new innovation that was happening and started the program and pretty much found out that I, maybe three people and my mother would be reading the paper that I wrote. And so um, got involved um, with a startup company uh, where I wrote code. Now, not very good software code, just to be clear, but writing uh, um, software code at night and got the bug of of really that entrepreneurial side, um, you know, learning what a series A versus a series B. And I was doing this nights during my PhD. I then went to go work for um, an investment. Um, at, that, at that time, they were called merchant banks. Now you'd really call them family offices that were that were really seeding um, healthcare startup companies. And that's when I really started to think more about this impact of the true entrepreneurial side and how it can disrupt the broken healthcare system that we have today in America. And when you look at how change is truly affected across industries, it is through the entrepreneurship path that those changes truly happen and that disruption. And so when I look at how we can drive affordability, accessibility, yes, of course, the government has its role, the states have its role, et cetera. But when I really look at how things can change, um, my 
my chosen path has always been on the side of how do we fund innovation to change the system and have done that throughout my career, whether it's been, um, actually it's always been on the investing side, um, at, even at a university or at different funds um, and helping entrepreneurs along that path. It's tricky to navigate regulation, policy, reimbursement, you know, and the buying behavior, um, but it's something that I've found I can, I, I feel I can help make a small impact in that way. Well, I think you're speaking to the choir in terms of the power of entre entrepreneurship to be a catalyst for change uh, on this particular call. You know, you've been in these different environments uh, in investing on the institutional side, the traditional VC side. How unique is your perspective as someone who studied public health? Does that give you a, a pretty unique perspective? It used to, but there are a lot more of us showing up now. I think okay. the... Um, especially as you start to look at how many, you know, people are really seeing that as a, you know, that the epidemiology is not that different than some of the market, you know, like market sizing, et cetera. Then it, there's, there's actually a lot of the same math associated with it. So um, I just, I think it's gotten, unfortunately, because of social equity issues the that have always been present. And now with the pandemic going on, there is an awareness of, of that. I think it's going to change and drive hopefully even more people um, into the world of, hey, there's healthcare is, when we look at it, we really need to say, how are we solving it for rural? How are we solving it for people in urban areas? Um, how are we, not just the commercially insured, you know, employees at some of the large, um, you know, that, that are exciting to work with. It is really fun to be on that cutting edge, but that other side, and, I, and we're starting to see that in portfolio companies too, um, the impact on, on that side. So as we invest across those, I think we'll bring in more people from public health. That makes sense. Okay, we've talked more broadly about your, your broader journey. Let's sort of zero in on you know the work you're doing now, who you are now as a partner at Echo Health Ventures. I wanna know how would you describe yourself as an investor today? Oh, how would I describe myself as an investor today? What's your um, MO? What's your MO? Oh, if you talk, you know, we all have, I, I, you can't do this business for as long as I have without, you know, getting a few, you know, you kind of learn what your own reputation is. Um, everyone always knows where they stand with me. That's my hope. When I'm doing diligence with a CEO, they know what my next step is going to be. When I'm on a board, I'm not saying something that I haven't already told the CEO and everyone, that there is a clarity of um, and of, of where I am and where where my position is. Um, and if I don't know something, how I'm gonna go and resolve that. I think that is um, something that has served me well in terms of um, over the years, just knowing what to expect. And then I think on the other side, there is a, um, there are fantastic investors out there who have really deep Rolodexes. There are fantastic financial engineers, and there are people who really spend time knowing the markets and the nuances of who's going to buy and how, how it's going to end up. A lot of the R&D, I would say I'm, I skew more towards the R&D type of investor. And so that market depth is something that I, I spend a lot of time on. Um, while again, there's all, all those different types. And it's actually nice to have all three of those types of investors. Um, on your on your boards, on your um, on your cap table, et cetera. But kind of knowing which one you you have to be able to do all three. But knowing which one, I would say those are the two things that I would be. Um, I guess you know, but would be. I think I'm more known for. 
Probably yeah. some other things that I should maybe do some back channel diligence on this so I can find really well, well that's kind of that the, that's kind of the tactical business side what about you know passions within healthcare itself things that when you see a pitch for it you see a company you're more likely to to get interested so you know i there isn't a stage of company you know it's early stage it's late stage it is really seeing a problem and is going in the kind of the opposite direction to solve it. And this is because there are so many ways to address waste in healthcare. And we just talk about, we can pave the cow path all day. You can move the same visit from the doctor's office to make it a telemedicine visit. That's not changing the whole system. But when you actually say, I'm going to rewrite the actuarial value of something I'm gonna change the risk and how I'm taking it because that will change the behavior. And you're really going back to the root causes. That's where I, whether across tech-enabled services, healthcare IT, data solutions, that's where I'm interested in, in getting involved. Um, do I hear you it, describing it sort of- Moving to A to B. Do I hear you describing sort of non-intuitive solutions to a problem? You don't want to just keep going down the same, you know, V1, V2 of the same solution, but think about it differently? Absolutely. With a team that knows then how to break those into baby steps, because you know, there's a lot of companies that fail by coming out with the big, hey, here's our big five year, just get on board with us. But there's entrenched healthcare solutions out there. And unfortunately, a lot of them were built that way for a reason. So I love it when I can hear a management team talk about a five-year vision of how they're truly going to change a scope of healthcare. And then the, and in year one, we'll do this. And in year two, we'll do that. That is where I start to say, okay, this team has thought about it. They know how the financing to get them there is going to work. And we have a big vision at the end. Okay. So that's you, uh, a little snapshot of, of you and how you think about investing. Now school us a bit on Echo Health Ventures. Uh, give us a flyover, understand what stages you invest in, check sizes, um, how you work with founders, that, that type Great. of thing. Yeah, so Echo Health Ventures, we are a, well, let me talk a little about, we do have a unique structure. We invest on behalf of three blues plans, Blue Cross North Carolina, Arkansas Blue Cross Blue Shield, and Cambia, which is up in the Pacific Northwest. Hmm. We are aligned for strategic value to bring value back to them and financial returns. And the way we do that strategic value is that we are structured a little bit different. And I think this ties a little bit into the CEO, what you guys should be listening for also. We invest from stage, we're stage agnostic. So we'll do new co's and we'll do late stage growth rounds. Also the size of the checks, usually five to 15. Um, and then we're, we're reserving for follow-ons. We lead, co-lead when we do that. But what our secret sauce and our question for you is, is then if you're saying you provide strategic value, who's the one who's putting that on their back and working on it every single day for the portfolio? And at Echo Health Ventures, we have our investment team, but we have an advisor's team full-time within Echo that is actually the same size as our investment team. They are senior people who have lived with either within the blues or um, in industry, and they are in Little Rock, Durham, Cambia, or up in Seattle, Portland. They're walking the halls 
they don't serve on the boards. They are a member of the deal team. And they, their job is to listen for strategic direction, listen for needs, and then take our portfolio and diligence. And they're that API layer going back and forth between the investment themes and then where we want to source deals and then how our portfolio companies can actually get attachments or wins or contracts with not necessarily even our blues, just out there in the market. And I just come back to you guys as that, oh, sorry, to um, when you're looking as, as who are you looking at your partners, not just, hey, they're saying they have strategic value because these are their LPs, but is someone actually, is there, you know, um, is their KPI tied to how that's going to end up, you know, those types of contracts? Because it's just such a big part of what we do um, in terms of trying to bring that strategic value. Do you invest in uh, devices, therapeutics, software? Do you have certain limitations in terms yeah, of that? Yeah, you know, we don't have FDA, um, I'm sorry, we don't have much, we can touch it. Um, we don't have deep ex- FDA expertise. We really want to see the value as it comes back to a member. And so when you think about that, that's going to be what are the new care delivery systems, new models, value-based care. So we do have investments in tech-enabled care delivery. So between Genome Medical and Dispatch, we just invested in Heartbeat Health. Those are all examples, Strive. Those are all examples of companies like that. Then we are doing um, insure tech. So that is, you know, better ways to run a, you know, health insurance and, and distribute. And we have a company called Veracred in that space. Um, and then we also have companies really more in the IT space and this um, companies like Abacus that are really in there for analytics, um, data, data transfer. And then we have real more services companies like Vaxcare or Avalon that provide services. Now that is across healthcare services, healthcare IT, tech-enabled services, and then some services, but not therapeutic. Yeah, we do, and then we have a few diagnostic companies in Octave and Cipher. So, but one device company in title. <laughs> so it is a, you know, I, yeah. I kind of started with our the bulk of our companies, and then we have some edge cases because we really see, hey, you know, devices like Title Care, that is something that our, you know, the members of the Blues would be able to use right away. I'm curious about the the Blues plans tolerance mm-hmm. for uh, risk slash innovation. You mentioned a second ago that you're drawn towards sort of non-intuitive solutions, you know, and yet you're working with an institution that I think we, I, I might um, assume would be more risk averse, would want something that was slightly better than what they already knew. Right. So h- how do you reconcile those two things? We're working with, first of all, three of the very innovative Blues plans that are not, you know, that they're all innovative in their own special way, but when you actually look at market leaders, like North Carolina is an absolute market leader in the space there in the value-based care. Arkansas is a market leader in how they uh, work with self-insured employers and the employee bases. And Cambia is a market leader in how they work with the consumer journey. And so when you actually say, Cambia may not, so just as an example, Cambia may say, okay, North Carolina is going to test out that value-based care vendor first and then i'll buy it once they once they uh work with it a little bit a a little bit so that that is it doesn't they don't all three have to be market leaders in everything they can really take the opportunity to learn from each other we're also learning from providers from other we co-invest with optum we co-invest with humana and other plans also we are still set up as a as an investing arm 
And um, so we're not just out there as procurement. We are out there to look around corners and bring um, bring that innovation to life. And you know, not everything is going to be a not everything's going to be a contract um, going forward. And we you know need to be eyes wide open on that. Explain what you mean by that. Um, okay, so we are an investment arm. We aren't corporate development. So we they give us funds to invest. But just because I invest doesn't mean you get a contract. A company gets a contract with one of those blues, they still have to go. That's another arm they have to go. And we spend a lot of time with CEOs making sure they really understand that. <laughs> that you're really not getting a contract. Like we are, a, we are an investing arm to help you get better and to scale. But, um, you know, we aren't running RFPs through Echo. We are like another investment arm in that way. Gotcha. Uh, let's take a quick pause and ask a couple questions from yeah. the chat. We've got um, one from Sanji Silva from Mockingbird. So Sanji, why don't you go, go ahead and come off mute, explain what you do and ask your question. Thanks, Logan. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Um, so Mockingbird is automating the license maintenance um, from kind of start to end for clinicians. So basically mm -hmm. what that is, is you get credentialed and that's where we come in. We don't do the credentialing, right. we automate yeah. the continuing education process. Um, so my question is, it was fascinating when you said that you look for companies that are, you know, going backwards or kind of have unique solutions. Um, and I would say we are one of those. And mm -hmm. one of the challenges with that is it's not well understood in the market. Um, so that's why I always say that second sentence when we introduce even Mockingbird now. Um, so my question is, in your mind, as you're um, assessing companies, are there any factors, metrics, anything in particular that kind of um, you, because you've done this over and over that you look for, which helps to build the credibility for that mm -hmm. startup and the product um, in your mind? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really good question because I think we can, um, so uh, as an example of that, let me tell you my, um, I'm gonna tell you about my favorite licensing company. <laughs> so in, in this space, and they're not even around anymore. So yeah, this was probably 10, 10 years ago. So they walked in and they said, hey, we are a quality man. We're, we're a tool to manage the quality of your hospital. But our nose under the tent is licensing. And we will solve your licensing problems. And we will do that with an ROI of this. So you should just buy it, whether or not you want to buy the whole solution. But that's their nose under the tent was licensed. Well, in, they might have done the credentialing too, but credentialing licensing and then they completely but their end goal was actually to get it really be the human capital management for the all the clinicians in the in the in the provider system and start to get in peer reviews in a way that the providers could not just get licensing but actually get that change how doctors rate each other and that so you can say okay we're a licensing solution Great, and that's your ROI, and that's your how you get in the door. But then, what is the what is the next sell? What's the product line right behind that? That if they're happy with you, they would say, okay, what else you got in that bag? <laughs> what else are we ready to to say? And that's what I want to see is some of that build of we do licensing, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and that's how um, we're going to build potentially. The now again, I'm investing. Um, that's for like a 10 or $15 million check for a later stage company that sometimes these companies are just, um, 
I had a, a CEO who brought me a, um, essentially it, it was the survey you fill out after you've been a patient. It's yeah, as simple as can be. And really they were just moving it to the internet and making it in, but they were getting all these great response rates. And she's like, so I want to raise venture capital is like, no, you want to run that company for one more year and then sell it is what you want to do. <laughs> and it, it was that like, cause it's a great market. She, she did very, very well in that transaction. It, she didn't have all that path laid out for her. So that, what I love to see is if you've got a 10 steps of product launch and a huge thing you want to disrupt, you're raising money for that. And that the whole step, and if it's a smaller, which is fine, you're raising money for that smaller, that smaller market and making sure there's alignment between those two. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for the question, Sanji. Uh, let's go to another question from this one from Jenny Gallagher from Helpful. So go ahead, Jenny. Hi, Jessica. Nice to meet you. Um, yeah, so I'm a co-founder and CEO of Helpful. We're a community network for giving and getting help that runs on time tokens. And we're tackling the issue of loneliness in older age as well as mm. helping seniors continue to live independently. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, when you were talking about the strategics, I had that vision of them running around the halls. Um, <laughs> just wondering, you know, issues such as social determinants of health. Right. Medicare Advantage, uh, you know, especially sort of those that have, you know, kind of the at risk, um, just uh, how does that fall, you know, in the in the priority lineup? Right. Yeah, we. Um, it's I, I want to be able to say it is the hottest thing and there's all these investors just lined up ready and there's all these buyers. And we're still in the pilot phases of how these roll out. Um, and I think that, that it's unfortunate um, that we're still there um, when we know we're starting to really see the impact this can have on, on people's, on individuals, especially seniors and loneliness and the, and the lives. Um, the, the piece that I would say um, is just really as you're out there and, and making the pitch to get some of that pie of dollars that you're making that that impact is just use as many um, case studies as you can, as many of the ROI as you can. And um, I know you weren't looking for this specific advice, but what I'm seeing is it jumps in priority when you're not just talking about how you can save ER visits, mm -hmm. but when you actually say, and, and the, the member for at least for a health plan, the member will stay with the plan for longer. The member will be happier with this health plan and, and tie it to some of that membership metrics. It's not just about not going to the emergency room, but again, as a, as a health plan, we're looking for, or I'm not looking for, but I, we're, when we're talking to them, we're not just looking for how you're addressing every single social driver mm -hmm. of health out there. You, no one can do that. Right, right. But when you say, okay, this one can impact because of this, and there's another benefit, that that tends to get higher on the list. Yeah, great. That's that's helpful. Thanks. No pun intended. All right, appreciate that, Jenny. Uh, Jessica, let's change gears for a minute and let's talk about uh, the market more broadly and how a macro understanding of kind of where the money is flowing and how bullish the market is currently can inform decision making for startups. So I wonder if you could sort of characterize the current market right now as you see yeah. um, startups raising funds in health tech. I will say it is, um, boy, is it noisy. 
uh it is really noisy out there and it's a you know i i it's a it's a fantastic time to be in the market because there's fundamental shifts that are happening and i will say you know we whether we're in a bubble or a big bubble or a small bubble sure but there's also the ipo market is open in a way that it has actually never been open before um there is a level of capital that is available to healthcare you know, big, you know, some of these bigger companies uh, that, that has never been available before. And with the pandemic, there's an awareness of how telemedicine, how, you know, that the, that we really are seeing a shift. So I actually, there's a ton of money and I believe the money is here for really good reasons. And it, you know, that's exciting. What, we're going to start seeing though is I'm, I think we're going to start seeing more of a bimodal distribution of the companies that have proven models or proven teams or proven assets really continue to start to get the lion's share of that, of that capital. And it is, I, I, for at least a lot of companies that I talk to, it's pretty much still the same grind. You're out there. You're building your funnel. You're, you know, uh, you know, you're doing the right. And it and the level of diligence is still the same for a lot of entrepreneurs. And so I, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs I'm talking to are very disheartened by I'm seeing all these headlines, these unicorns, these valuations, but the rich are getting richer in a lot of this fundraising, and the companies that are just starting out that really need to prove that ROI. Um, Aren't, aren't being swept up as quickly. Now there's there's more money out there than there was 10 years ago, sure, but it's still a slog. And so I just wanna make sure that the entrepreneurs out there are hearing like, it's, this isn't, Matt, it's still a ton of hard work. There's still a lot of diligence. There's still a lot of no's out there. Um, and just cause you're reading it in the headlines, don't don't feel like that's the case for everybody. Are there specific any pitfalls or mistakes that startups make when the market is so noisy, when it's so bullish? Well, yeah, I'll tell you a few things that we're seeing um, happen. I, you know, speed. There's something weird in the market right now happening about speed, and I'm still I'm, I'm living it, so it's hard to analyze it. But I'll but I'll say there's a there's term sheets being written very quickly, and then the diligence is happening after the term sheet. And while it is so exciting to get a term sheet and you're like, okay, I've got it. I've now we're now I'm now I'm funded. We're going to start making plans. We're going to um, just really check how much diligence has been done before that term sheet has been written. Um, who still needs to approve it? What, you know, what is still outstanding between here and there? Um, because if, it, you know, you just don't want to get caught into, you know, there's just some certainty to close. So we call it certainty to close. Um, you want to make sure that certainty of close, you're seeing it the same way and that there's same diligence questions. You understand which, which questions still need to be answered. Um, the, the second thing I would say is really making sure um, you're doing your work. You know, just because you're getting a call in, it doesn't mean that you should be raising right then. Make sure you spend the time to get your you know, your data room, your budget frozen, because you don't want to change your budget or your forecast in the middle of the process, you know, just make sure that that is, you're, you're kind of buttoned up 
because the minute you start the process, you have another full-time job, uh, which is managing, you know, all the asks of people like me. And hopefully there's more than, well, you know, you're talking to a number of funds at once. That's your second full-time job. And, you know, trying to, where I see CEOs really get flustered in a hot market like this, they're trying to run their company, build the models and raise the money at the same time. So even just a little cushion where you just say, okay, for two weeks, we're heads down. We're not going to take any calls. We're just going to do the, get, get things a, kind of ready. Um, that, that can really pay off in the long run. I mean, I, what I'm hearing is I call the CEOs. Hey, let's meet. No, we're not fundraising. We're not fundraising. Oh, well, but if you're interested, here's a full data room and we're expecting term sheets in. I was like, well, that's not fair. Like, that's not accurate either. So, you know, you, you don't need to go all the way to that, but there is a, um, you know, just make sure your eyes wide open when you're ready to start the process. Yeah, that's great. Um, let's say you're working with a startup and they, they do successfully walk through that process with you and they've, they've finished their round. And now it's your chance to really sit down with them and give them your hard won advice about kind of what's next. So talk me through some of some of those sort of foundational uh, pieces that you would walk through a startup, whether it's governance, whether it's board, um, and kind of how you talk to an early stage startup. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time with Series A and Series B CEOs um, on what I call cadence. Um, we are, as board members, as investors, expecting a cadence throughout the year that I think a lot of first-time entrepreneurs aren't maybe even, or don't have as much experience with, which is, you know, we expect to approve the budget in December, hopefully, <laughs> you know, if we, maybe sometimes it eeks into January, but we really are trying to see. So we have, we preview the budget in the, well, let me just do the quarterly meeting. The Q4 meeting, end of Q4 meeting is to approve the budget. The Q3 meeting is to um, kind of talk strategically about what the priorities are going to be. The Q2 meeting is usually about what are this kind of some movements in the market that are that are feeding the and customer feedback that are feeding the strategy. And Q1 is about what you're expecting to happen in that year. And I work backwards because there's this cadence of how we expect to, because you don't want to get to the budget and they're like, well, we haven't seen the strategy yet. So um, it, you know, just thinking about how the year is set up matters. So then, because you've because there are yearly things that happen and they don't happen when you're just in a little in a little baby company. It's just, you're just kind of doing it, but you start to say, okay, well, I've got comp committee. Comp committee is going to want to, we got to get our KPIs approved in December because that's going to feed into my bonus plans, which I'm going to set up. And then, you know, and, and you actually get into this, um, again, I just keep using the word cadence, but comp committee has a cadence. Yeah. Um, audit has a cadence of how it works. And the faster you learn those, the more you'll be able to manage your board and train us. And there's training of like, these are my KPIs. These, this is what's important to me. No, we're gonna look for that when we do this. Um, we're gonna do options in February. We approve the budget in December. We do a, we reforecast in July. Like there is a set way we are expecting to see things. And that's where I see first time CEOs get tripped up some so make sure you have somebody who really has served on a lot of boards helping you think through that cadence um before you begin i, I love that that idea of training your board uh oh my I, gosh yes 
and you serve on mul oh, multiple no, boards. Because yeah. the ones who are like, okay, this is, this is our pipeline. And then I learned how to look at our pipeline and then they change it the next quarter. And I was like, but I just learned it. How did you look at it? So yeah, the, the consistency of how you show pipeline, the consistency, that really matters to build trust over time. That's great. That's great. Uh, let's go to a couple more questions from the chat. Uh, let's go to Kavi Misery from Rose Health. Kavi, you can come off mute, explain what you do and ask your question. Thanks, Logan. Hi, Jessica. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time. My name is Kavi. I'm the CEO and founder of Rose Health. Uh, we are a digital mental health platform that is closing the gap in the access to care problem that has plagued mental health for decades. Um, essentially what we do, Rose is an acronym for recognition of speech and emotion. So we leverage deep tech for early detection of the depression and mood disorder symptoms uh, within risk-bearing entities. Mm -hmm. And once we identify, we uh, invite the patients onto the platform. And then we actually have a staff, about 150 licensed clinical social workers, 100 psychiatrists, about 60 psychologists that we subcontract that would provide um, the access to care. So they do short-term therapy um, in the, by doing triaging, um, care planning, assessments. And then for six to eight weeks, we would uh, conduct uh, sessions with them. And then we would eventually find them a long-term therapist. So essentially closing that gap then with the early detection to the short-term therapy and then finding them a long-term therapist. My question is more along the lines of, we've just built this we, uh, platform and this partnership now we are raising a seven and a half million dollars Series A. Um, we raised about two point six million thus far, and after attending the health conference in Boston as well as current uh, conversations, we have a lot of interest um, from various uh, various funds. My question is more along the lines of like, how do we create a sense of urgency here? where we'd like to close around by the end of the year. We have funding to go all the way up to March, but what, is, what would you say would be best practices to get, these, uh, to get these firms interested to the point where we say that all term sheets are due at some point. So we already have a term, we already have a term sheet um, and a lead. So, how do we go about just getting more of that? Any light of fire. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good one, Kavi. Well, first of all, don't, I know this sounds funny, but don't lie. Like, cause that, that, and I feel like I have to say it because like, I will like, oh, the term sheets do and it's expiring this day. And I get a call the next week. They're like, well, it didn't quite expire and it got extended. And it's like, well, you get to, you know, be really careful about the exact, we are, we list, there are, there are very specific words that we cue to in terms of, you know, um, that the term sheet's going to blow up, the term sheet's going to expire, the, you know, that, that make sure you, um, you're choosing your words very carefully around how you're communicating. If you are going to communicate that you have a term sheet, you better be sure you're going to take that term sheet. Um, if you're going to, if you're not, if you're going to use it as that type of tool, uh, cause you can't set up that BATNA that, um, best alternative to a negotiation if you're if you're that's not something you actually want so that's that is um so the question though is how do you run the process rather than having the process sure. 
kind of run you and it is um there's some bluffing involved um yeah i'll say there is some like some calculated risks you can play because what you're trying to do is get at least one or two others in at the exact same time now it's as a early stage company very very difficult to do that and i'm more of a hey you can take a good so run your process take a good look at where everyone else is really in your process and if you've got somebody you want to work with and you're pretty feeling good about them you may you, you may just be okay moving forward with with them if you've got a term sheet you really you really like you know, waiting three months to get an extra five million of pre-money valuation, and you're, you know, I don't usually see it as, um, you know, I, I'm more of a take, find the partner that you feel good with, take and get that, you know, get the money in the bank, and then leave the round open for others to come in behind, um, is the, you know, if you're not really getting that, you know, three players and you're going to be able to make it all happen right at once, it just, it'll happen with Series C companies and hopefully you get there and you get to have that. It, it doesn't happen as often with, with the early stage companies, um, unfortunately. It's great. Practical advice, Jessica. Thanks a lot. And thanks Thank for the you. question, Kavi. Uh, let's go to a question from Satya Lumalai from ADAR Health. Satya, you can come off of mute. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for all your great feedback. Uh, I'm Safia. I'm the founder and CEO of ADAR Health. Uh, it's a digital medicine company aimed to reimagine today's standards for chronic disease management and decentralized clinical trials. As a part of our solution, we built a single device that actually mm -hmm. measures more than 10 vital health parameters in under 30 seconds. So, uh, which actually we've been using it for a lot of efforts from uh, digital prescription, digital therapeutics, uh, using this device and our platform, and also using our solution for RPM or remote physiological monitoring programs. Um, surprisingly, we we spent like seven years on this, and we were able to get our FDA clearance, CE mark approval, uh, ISO certification, MDSAP, and and we are a technology company right now, trying to add a lot of value. Um, and and I see like our device can play a phenomenal role into pretty much every single portfolio company of yours mm -hmm. from Dispatch Health to Care Merge, Amwell, I can name it all. But <clears throat> I've been seeing a transition from, I mean, most of the investors, there's a transition, even you invested in TitoCare, which is a great company. Right. I, I love TitoCare, um, to stay away from med devices or technology, even a company that has amazing platform but because of the fact that there is a device component. A lot of investors don't even want it to spend the time to evaluate it. Um, right. So why there is a shift and, and uh, how is Echo uh, trying to change? Yeah, um, I'd say I, I, I sometimes fall in that camp too. Um, you know, things can go in the too hard bucket really quickly in a, um, especially in a hot market where your bandwidth is very, very precious. And so it, oh, this looks, you know, it, it is, um, so, you know, I'm trying to figure out just nuance. Um, let me, 
let me just make sure I'm clarifying the question. Do you want to know why we're not as excited about device as a market? We don't usually <coughs> move towards devices. Yeah, that's one yeah. question, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's it is a, that's just you know, we're here. Um, we look at multiples, and the uh, tech-enabled services multiples when you wrap a service around your device is higher than if you have a device that you have to be worried about being moved to a commodity. And, you know, the, 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 the scary ghost of uh, the Apple Watch is out there. And, that, you know, and, and so you got to commit, you know, so the combination of the, I know at the peak, if I hit a huge home run on the device, I'm going to get a 3X, 5X, 10X or whatever. And it, great. But the probability of me doing a SaaS platform and being able to get a 15X is just it makes my eye look that look that way in terms of certainty to a higher multiple. Um, for your situation, what you might want to do is spend some time with devices that have some of those multiples that have some of that real you know consumer adoption and prove them wrong right away. And you just may need to move the exit conversation up faster in your pitch than you would than someone else might have to with the known uh, when the, where the multiples are known. Perfect. Well, that's great. Thanks for the feedback. Sure. Right, thanks for the question, Safia. Uh, and another question from Krista McFarland from Patient Tory. Krista, you can come off of mute. All right. Hi, Jessica. It's Krista McFarland, the founder and CEO of Patient Tory. Um, we're a blockchain healthcare company in the startup health portfolio. We basically secure and, and unlock data by giving our users ownership of that information um, to help them identify areas where they can improve their health um, while incentivizing um, them with that through the use of tokens. Um, so my question is with you know the current focus on health equity, you know, it's it's a big mm -hmm. theme right now in the space. Are there any current DI initiatives and then social impact initiatives as part of um, the thesis of the fund. Absolutely, but it isn't, um, I expect every single one of my portfolios to be working on those issues. And it is, if I'll tell you, if a company can't answer some of those questions, they don't get very far in diligence um, because it's, it's who I am as an investor, but it's also who we represent as Echo Health Ventures in terms of we, we are serving Medicaid, we are serving people in rural areas, we're serving lower, lower income workers in, in terms of who really need to focus on affordability of their healthcare. And so I want CEOs to be thinking about that. What, oh, you, I mean, it drives you crazy, I know. It's like, well, we have that one company in our portfolio, therefore, we, we did that investment. We don't need to do it anymore. When, when actually every single one of our portfolios needs to be looking at their board dynamics to make sure that there's um, representation of, of, of who we represent as America on the boards. When we need to look at every single company to say, how are you going to serve, you know, Arkansas, <laughs> rural Arkansas, rural Kansas. Um, and that change, I think, is every single one of the partners and investors, we're looking at those and asking those questions. And so, you know, as you're looking at investors, it's not, oh, they can point to one example. It's how, what is their diligence process? What are the questions they're asking? Um, that really differentiates to me who I want to work with 
that it's a it's a part of their everyday, not just something that they've um, a, one company they can bring out. Thanks for the question, uh, Krista. And Jessica, I know this is something that's very personal to you. And uh, I wonder how has your um, just life as a female executive sort of informed how you think about investing in, let's say, non-traditional founders uh, or diverse portfolio founders? Um, first of all, I'm in an industry where if you didn't go to Stanford or Harvard or Wharton, you're considered a diverse candidate. So like, like this is a ridiculous, like it is a funny, I mean, it is, you know, the world of private equity, and I, I'm sorry, you guys don't know me very well, that that was a joke. So um, just say, a, uh, I, I realize Except I'm being not. recorded, Except so I will Not exactly. <laughs> and I didn't go to Stanford, so I can actually say that. But the, you know, we aren't a diverse group of investors. Like we aren't a, there isn't a broad swath of thinking that a bunch of investors have come and it's in its representative. And so I think it's getting better. And it is what we are looking for in terms of this is that we're seeing the IPO success. We're seeing the exit success. We're seeing the awakening of the, my goodness, this women's health market that's been there the whole time. Finally, other investors are waking up to this. And that's the kind of, it's not just the numbers of people around the table. It is, can we see the returns from that? And what I'm excited to see is some of the investor, so, Behind every fund is you know, people who give us money. They're asking questions about what types of it, what types of CEOs are you in, are you are you searching out? How are you um, deploying your capital for to represent these untapped markets? And so, me as a as a female in this industry, um, what I bring it back to is the business case, the size of the market that having more voices around an investment table actually gives you better returns. And the more I can focus people on, or any audience, on make the business case, that's where you really see um, people start to turn their heads and think about it differently. And I've been proud that I've been able to do that over the years and wanna continue doing that in my own industry, which is to say, you know, there are people who should be coming into investing from all backgrounds, from all educational, from entrepreneurs to you know nurses to midwives, they should all be around the investment table. And I think that will just make us such a richer and be able to look at um, opportunities that we've never been able to before. Appreciate that. I think we can squeeze in one, maybe two questions more. It just came into the chat if we're fast. Uh, Peter Aryan from Juna, uh, why don't you go ahead? Hello, uh, my name is Peter. I'm the founder of Juna. We provide direct-to-consumer at-home STI testing and behavioral health support for mm -hmm. Gen Zers and the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, our main focus is prep testing, which is yep. obviously a huge underserved market. Yep. Um, we're actually one of very few branded kits that are in network for California. Great. Um, I'm just wondering, what are some of the things that you look for in consumer health and the direction that it's going towards with at-home testing? Yeah. Um where I'm really looking for when I'm talking to CEOs that are focusing on that is, um, yes, I'm going to ask about your CAC ratios and everything like that, but I want to see the same level of clinical rigor when you're selling to the consumer market as if you're selling to Mayo or another large hospital system. I want to see a deep clinical advisory board, really deep, because that headline is going to be very 
um, damaging for any time you want to start selling into the industry. Um, and so just being super careful as, as you start to wade your toe into it. And again, I've looked at some STI companies and they're very, I mean, they're, they're like, we, we co-brand with bachelor parties. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be hard for me to sell to a health plan that this is, you know, and, and, and I, and I just, while that may be where the, cons the consumer, you know, the, the place where you're marketing, just make sure you've, you've really done the market and come at it as professionally and clinically as you can with those clinical words, not just, hey, this is where our consumers are. And I know I'm being grossly offensive and even saying that in some way, I just, I just wanted, that's the stuff that I've heard in a health plan when looking at some of these are like, well, so you've got to come overbearing on the clinical side to make sure that you don't get lumped with any sort of, they're just out for marketing, they're just going to sell whatever. So that's my, my um, advice to you. Cool. Thank you. Good stuff. Thanks for the question, Peter. And we're going to squeeze in one more from uh, Robbie Bustami from Biotics AI. Go ahead, Robbie. Hi, Jessica. Uh, thanks for thanks for speaking with us. Um, my name is Robbie Bastami. I'm the CEO and uh, co-founder of Biotics AI. Um, uh, we've uh, at Biotics AI we've built an AI-powered platform uh, for prenatal care where we can uh, provide early detection of potential fetal abnormalities and ultrasound screenings, um, and automate workflow workflows around communication uh, between healthcare professionals and uh, and patients, uh, where we can improve documentation and uh, uh, strengthen the uh, understanding and knowledge of patients going through prenatal care. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, my question is, so earlier you went over uh, the importance of communicating your product roadmap over the course of the yep. next five years. So uh, when pitching or talking to investors, uh, my question is, I mean, a lot of times like we'll be, so like today, for instance, like for, you know, year, year three and onwards, you know, we're currently testing the expansion of our product because it could potentially, you know, the way we built our product is it could right. potentially expand into different areas. And today it's like, we're, you know, we're doing a few more like AI based uh, research studies mm -hmm. where we're looking at different areas that we could potentially tackle. And then we're also at the same time uh, looking at where current technology could be potentially adopted right. as well. Um, and sort of analyzing those two different product roadmaps uh, for like year three and year mm -hmm. four and so on. So how would you sort of communicate that or how would you recommend, you know, we sort yeah. of communicate investors when we're talking to them as far as, you know, so we have this product that could be used today and then we have this like potential for expansion in different areas, but we don't, we haven't made that all, you know, that decision ultimately. Yeah. So where I like to see that is kind of year one, I'm, I'm going to crawl through what's going to happen in the next year. You should know that you should know what the product looks like year two. I'm expecting to see a pipeline and what that product is year three. It's okay. If it, goes like this and there's a divergent and it says, okay, if this happens, we're going to go this way. And if this happens, it's going to go that way. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I just want to know you've thought about it. I don't spend a lot of time looking, especially for early stage companies, looking at the financial structure of how year four and five, I mean, I look to see the assumptions to make sure that they hold and how you're thinking about them. But I, that's what I'm checking. Are you thinking about it? Are you really, you know, um, and understanding how the market could grow, but it's it's okay if it, it says we're gonna take one of these two paths and we're not sure we're going to listen to the market. And once I have this information, that's a sign of a savvy CEO to me um, that they're listening to the market. Cool, all right. 
Thanks, awesome. thanks Jessica. Awesome, Robbie. Uh, that brings us close to the top of the hour. And we like to give everyone a chance to share back with the room uh, an insight that they heard. So if you'd like to drop your name uh, in the chat, you can share uh, something that you've learned today from uh, Jessica. You know, what jumps to my mind while you're thinking about that was just this idea of cadence. And that kind of goes back to Robbie's point as well. It's not just uh, what you convey to your board. It's it's really how you communicate it. It's how you structure it. It's how you train your board. Uh, and, and I just, I really love that. It really has changed my own thinking. Um, let me call on Dr. Greenhill. She's got an insight. Go ahead. Thank you, Logan. And thank you so much. This was a, such a practical session of, um, and this is not my first business, but I learned that cadence uh, the hard way. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing it. I think the one other thing that I hope more people hear is that importance of DEI, not as a side thing, right. but as a core element of everything and thinking about it at level, level board team, but also customers mm -hmm. and supporting the organizations we're yeah. deploying with to think about uh, how our technology creates haves and have nots within the populations that they serve. So uh, fantastic mm -hmm. session. Thank you. Jessica, if I were to give you the, the microphone for the final word, uh, what would be a piece of advice you'd give a room full of healthcare founders uh, in this, this day as we're coming towards yeah. the end of 2021? Yeah, run your fundraising process like you run your sales pipeline. Hmm. Um, you know, who are the, who's the, you know, what, list out everybody you'd be interested in, you know, have you talked to them or not? And it's a, um, it is a process like a sales pipeline and uh, you know, the Excel spreadsheet that you run for that should actually look how far you are in each one. Have they, you know, and where they stand and how long they may be when it's their investment committee. Like there's actually a process that you can figure out and you can actually predict how far along they are. And I think um, not everyone sets it up as that structured process, but it really will take minutes off your mile. Um, by building that same type of sales pipeline status, um, fundraising process. Jessica, this has been uh, an awesome hour. I think I can speak for everyone when I say uh, thank you for an, an insightful and wise uh, session. Um, everyone on the call, appreciate your good questions and for everyone who took part in this. Um, but Jessica, thank you for just being candid and being open about what, you, what, what, what you've learned and what, what's going on at Echo Health Ventures. Yeah, great. It was wonderful to speak with you all. Great questions today. And final thank you to you, Jessica. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 380 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.